In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be comfortable. Good morning. Here, there, wherever you are, welcome to St. Augustine's. Um, I have to say I, I love this gospel, even though it's a troubling sort of gospel, isn't it? This is one of those gospels you kind of file under troubling words of Jesus. Um, so, and there's kind of two stories going on here. That first part, which I have to admit is optional. But, I just, but, it, but, it, but we needed it. So even though it's two parts, they're related. So I want to try to get to how they are related. Um, so to start, I want to start with that first part, though, where Jesus says, it's not what goes into the body that defiles you. It's what, it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Um, and it, it reminds me of, um, I'll start by this article, this editorial I read by Thomas Friedman this week. He talks about how uh, the explosion in Beirut, the awful explosion in Beirut, uh, reminded him of being in Beirut 40 years ago. And the president of the American University in, in Beirut um, hosted a dinner party. And they were talking, this was 40 years ago, uh, they were talking over dinner, just kind of, you talk about the weather when nothing else is safe to talk about, right? For, yeah, y'all do that too? Yeah. Um, and so they were talking about these hailstorms that had, for two days in a row, had hit Beirut. And as they were sort of exchanging thoughts on kind of what had caused that, he, kind of tongue-in-cheek, said, do you think the Syrians did it? And they, they all laughed. And it was funny because there was also a moment of truth in that where they thought, maybe they did, those dirty Syrians. Because... At that point in Beirut's life, everything had become political. Everything had been boiled down to that sort of sectarian us against them. The reason Friedman brought this up is because, is because it's even worse in, in Lebanon today. And it's a warning for us too, he says. He says that our political differences here in this country have gotten so deep that our two parties are like a religious, two religious sects in a contest, a zero-sum contest for power. And in that world, there's only us and them. And in that world, there's no common humanity. And that tribalism, it's us or them and nowhere in between. Nothing undergirding all of us. Does that sound like the world we're living in? We'll take heart, because we didn't invent this. <laughs> this tribalism, this sectarianism has been going on since the beginning of, of humanity. And Jesus sort of bumps up against it today. And so that's where this reading comes from, this idea of <clears throat> that what goes into the body is what defiles. And so if you're, so in other words, if we're doing these things, all of these, kind of following all of these rituals, then we're okay. <clears throat> which feels pretty good, doesn't it? Until you get to the corollary of that, which is, if you're not doing these things, guess where that puts you? Not okay. 
See how quickly then it devolves? Where we are so sure of our righteousness that that means that you're not righteous. So sure of our ritual purity and cleanness that you are impure and unclean. And taken to the extreme beyond redemption. When we're so sure that the work that we're doing is what makes us clean, pure, holy. And that's a dangerous place to be. So Jesus pushes back against that. He says, no, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles, it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles. So it's not about eating with properly washed hands that therefore makes us holy or righteous or pure or saved, redeemed. No. That would put, leave it all up to us. God does that work. And out of that, out of that truth, then comes these sort of righteous and pure ways of acting and behaving. It may help. Does this help? I, I find it helpful to change the word defile to define. What defines us? Is it our religious practices that define us or the inclinations and intentions of our heart that really define us? Is it our work or is it God's work? Is it what God says we are worth that really defines our work, our worth. And that's where I think Jesus is going with this next part of the story. Okay, so work with me here, okay? If Jesus is saying we're not saved, to use kind of contemporary Christian language, if we're not redeemed because of what we do, but because of what God does, well then, what other people do or receive is available to them too. It's not a matter of just how we look. There's something else going on here that determines our worth. So, imagine Jesus trying to make this point, okay? To a culture that assumes that if you're not Jewish, you are outside of, you're not, you're, you're not pure, you're not redeemed, you're, you're unclean. And so here's Jesus in this region on the other side, away from the Jewish land. He's, there are some Jews, but the, this is Gentile country. And this Canaanite woman who is, the Canaanites, the enemies of the Jews, right, comes to Jesus and he, she's not just kind of asking or begging, but shrieking. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She's, she's desperate. And notice, Jesus doesn't say anything at all. Now, so this is where I, 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 I'll present an alternative understanding of this text. So maybe, if you can imagine, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples about who can be saved or what makes someone clean or pure. And he's saying, you know, it's not about those, just those acts. It's about 
who God says is worth saving. And here comes this outsider, the ultimate sort of outsider. And so their understanding would be, yeah, don't, don't pay any attention to her. In our world of cancel culture, they would say, cancel her. She's, she's outside of the pale. She is irredeemable. So don't ignore her. So Jesus is saying, oh, so I should just kind of keep walking, just pretend like she's not there. Don't hear the cries of this woman. And they're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they get to the point where they can't handle it anymore. And they say, God, please send her away. She's driving us crazy with, with this shrieking. Which is ironic because that same verb is used to describe the way that they were screaming when they were scared on the water just before this story. Remember from last week where Peter says, Lord, save me? Well, they can't stand it from her. So he says, oh, so you want me to say this to her, right? Okay. Sorry, I'm only sent to the, to the uh, lost sheep of the house of Israel. Is that what you want me to say? Does that sound consistent with everything you've seen me say and do? And when she says, Lord, have mercy, and he says, nope. Does this sound right? Nope, sorry. It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Can you kind of hear him almost sarcastically saying to his disciples, is, is that really the way you see this working? That, that God's love and mercy, we've, we've just got like a little container of it, so we've got to use it pretty carefully lest we run out of it? Is that what you think? And then the woman says, yes, but even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And finally Jesus says, you see, she's got it. Great is her faith. Great is this faith. Let it be done to you as you wish. And her daughter is healed instantly. You see, her faith isn't based on what she has done. Her faith is based on what she knows God wants to do. She's not blinded by some sort of um, misdirected self-reliance of her own holiness. Her faith is based on a desperation. She knows that the only place that she can turn to for salvation, for redemption, is Jesus. What a great faith. In this world that we're living in, We are in danger of our identity, of our salvation, of our worthiness being mistakenly attributed to the same sort of externals. So maybe if I have the right sign in my yard or the right bumper sticker on my car, therefore I am righteous. And if you've got the other bumper sticker or sign, what does that make you? Unrighteous? I hope not. I hope instead we can have faith like this woman who says it's really not about those externals. It's really about the deeply eternal love of God that we have seen in Jesus who goes both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. 
who doesn't give any purity tests. He just wants to know if we trust God. And that, when we receive our salvation, our redemption, based trusting fully that it's not because of anything that I've done, but it's all because of what God has done in Jesus, well then, we can respond with a, gra a grateful heart that does color all of the intentions that manifest throughout our lives, what we say and what we do. Gratitude for what God has done for us, not what we've done so that God had to. So I, I, it requires a constant reorientation of our heart. And it's certainly not that externals are bad. Religious practices are good. I'm thrilled that we get to be here in church together. But I hope that we're here to receive gratefully this gift of salvation that God has given us in Christ, trusting that it is God who gives it because of how good God is, not how good we are. Not that we're so much better than anybody else. And by doing that, we can remember that there's not just us or them, but there is, we have this common humanity and common redemption. That's what's offered. And when we receive it gratefully, it does change how we respond to the world and to our understanding of God. So if you want some homework, some exercises to help keep that orientation, remembering that it is God who saves us, say Psalm 67. When you wake up and before you go to bed, if you have some time the rest of the day, say it then too. It's only seven verses. But it is helpful. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. When you say the us, try to think as broadly as you can so that we're not thinking about us being St. Augustine's or us being a particular group. But us being humans. Can we do that? How would that change that? May God be merciful to us humans and bless us humans. Show the light of his countenance and come to us humans. Because that's what God has done. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. And all in it. Thanks be to God.